Hello, everybody. This is Rafael Garcia along with Shawn Humes on Thursday, December 7th, 2017. And we're back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. This is episode 67. And we thank you, first and foremost, for taking the time out to listen to our show. We have quite a bit to talk about tonight as uh, last weekend was crazy busy in the world of combat sports. And uh, this is a crazy busy weekend as well. Man, talk about breaking news. Did you see this news that GSP is stripped of the middleweight title? Yeah, I was a little shocked that they actually went through and stripped him of it. I mean, he wasn't going to defend it, but it was weird to me that they actually stripped it because I can't remember the last time the UFC stripped somebody outside of a... Did they strip Durandamir or did she drop the title? They stripped her ass real yeah, quick. That, that's the only person I can think of, but a lot of well, times they've had people fun. who haven't defended titles or refuse to defend titles for whatever reason they haven't stripped them, so it's it's kind of well, odd they, that this came out. They stripped Connor too. Um, they stripped him of the featherweight title as well. Yes, yes, yes. And then they um, stripped Dominic Cruz, too. Well, I thought they stripped him because he was unable. Like he, they ended up just upgrading the interim title to the championship because he he kept he kept being injured. Okay, never mind. So, yeah, man. Um, I'm seeing that the way that UFC is putting it is that GSP vacated. So. Uh, we'll see what happens, man. This is pretty interesting. Now Luke Rockhold and Robert Whitaker is now for the real uh, middleweight title of the world. So that's an interesting breaking news development. It literally just hit uh, maybe not even three minutes ago. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, it's all, it's the best case scenario for GSP. He wasn't going to defend it. He, they gave him a shot at the middleweight title. He got to win it. If he vacated it, then that's the right thing to do because he had no intention of defending it. So instead of hijacking the title, why not just give it up and at least leave a good memory in the in the eyes of the fans who are starting to get frustrated with him because he wasn't doing anything with the title except basically hijacking it, holding it hostage. Do you think he ever fights again? I'm not sure because if he's looking for a new challenge, either somebody's looking for cha- new challenges or he's looking for a payday, and none of the guys currently at middleweight or welterweight are really big paydays or really big challenges. I mean, not in the sense that he wants them. So I really don't know. You know, I, I think he's actually going to come back and fight. I just don't know who he would come back and fight against. That's that's what makes me doubt it. Who would present an interesting challenge and an interesting payday? I, I don't know who that person would be. I mean, only only person I can think of is Connor. <clears throat> yeah, that that'd be the biggest fight out there. There's It wouldn't even be close, to be quite honest. There's nobody out there who generates that kind of money. I mean, Ty- Tyrone Woodley, as good a champion as he's been, he's nobody wants to see him because his last couple of fights have just been boring. So he doesn't generate interest or money, and he's kind of a risk. So from the instance of a lot of viable options for money, paydays, and cha- interesting challenges, I don't think he fights again. But I think he's healthy, and I-, I think he still wants to compete. I don't think he just came back for one and done. I could well, be wrong, though. He's dealing with health, health issues as well, though. Yeah, I wouldn't call him necessarily healthy, but he is dealing with some health issues that came out over this week as well. Yeah, that could be problematic. If that's the case, that that could cause some issues. I mean, if, if I mean, you get to a certain point, your body just can't stand up to the strain of weight cutting, intense training, and then just stuff that happens to you as you get older. I mean, it's essentially what knocked out Brock Lesnar for a large period of time. And given GSP's history and his amount of fights and, and the wear and tear he's put on, any sort of health issue that sets him back for six months or a year is essentially pushing him right back out of the sport again. 
Yeah, so I mean, it was it was um pretty quick. It's, 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 I'm I'm glad it didn't take as long as um it did for some other fighters, but I'm interested to see what happens next for GSP at this point in his career. But I mean, that was definitely some breaking news I wasn't expecting tonight. And we also have some other stuff that I wanted to cover because we got a pretty busy week in mixed martial arts, pretty busy combat sports weekend last weekend, and one that's equally busy this week as well. So um, let's go ahead and jump right into things. Let's start conversing about some of the news that came out over this week. And perhaps the biggest thing is the main event. I guess this is probably the main event for UFC 220, where we have Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou fighting for the heavyweight title of the world. Uh, and what are your thoughts on this? Is this fight booked too soon? Um, did the UFC do the right thing by uh, seizing the day? What are your thoughts about this um, potential matchup, both inside and out, out of the cage? I don't really know what else they could do. I mean, who else could they throw it in Ganu? None of all the other heavyweights are, are, weren't really available. I mean, who else was there to throw at him? Derek Lewis, uh, maybe Fabricio Verdum, but you know, he was—he hasn't—he was just coming off a one-fight win streak. Derek Lewis is just coming back from an injury. Um, Arvlowski won, but he's already beaten Arvlowski, so. It, there's not a lot of other options, and Stipe wants to fight, so you need to give him the best viable option. You need something that, once again, is going to sell and draw interest, and what sells and draws more interest than a guy who seems like an unstoppable juggernaut, especially coming off of that uh, win he had with Overeem uh, last Saturday. I mean, there just, there just weren't too many other options. That uppercut that he hit Overeem with was probably the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, the, the memes they made of it is just... I don't, I don't know, man. I feel bad for Overeem because it's just the the memes, the gifts. It's just, it's brutal. It is just brutal. But um, you know, after a performance like that, you can't do anything else but put him in for a title fight. And like I said, Junior DeSantis is out because he popped. Who is there? Ben Ben Rothwell's out currently. He beat Arvlovsky already. Derek Lewis is coming off a loss. Mark uh, Mark Hunt was just hasn't even been cleared by the UFC to fight again. I mean, who else, who else was there for them to throw at him? At this point, he's pretty much got to fight for the title because they don't have another viable heavyweight to put in his way. And he passed his, so far he passed his biggest test. I mean, he passed his biggest test and, and pretty much the busy, beating the, the busiest and most successful heavyweight currently will be out over him. So, I mean, what else are you going to do except give him a title shot? At some point or another, you got to either get the belts around his way so you, you got to expose him for being somewhat of a raw fighter. Either way, I mean... You expose him as being a raw fighter that establishes the Stipe and that helps the division move forward. If he takes the belt off Stipe, then you got a new dominant champion, and that helps move the division forward. But either way, they had to do something with him, and there's no point in just having him circling, moving around in circles, just getting test after test and not getting any closer to the title. I, I think they were pretty much forced into giving him the title fight. So what are you, what are your early thoughts about this fight here? Is this because Ngannou open is opening as a um, betting favorite here? So what are your thoughts on this fight here? Because there are a lot of different aspects to Ngannou's game that just haven't been tested. Yeah, we know he hits stupid hard. I mean that we can pretty much all agree on. But what are your thoughts about having to deal with somebody like Stipe who can kind of mix things up, take him down, um, can last a little bit longer, get some shots? We've seen him take big shots against uh, JDS time and well, time me, again. So uh, what are some me, of your thoughts me, about this fight? 
it, the same problem I'm having gauging him is the same problem I have for the Overeem fight. We really don't know how he takes power shots. We don't know how he is when he's been extended. We don't know how it is when he has to fight outside of a pace other than the pace he's setting. We don't know if he can lead. So far, he's just been winning off counter shots, drawing guys in and countering them in exchanges. There's so much we don't know about him. Based off what I know about Stipe, Stipe should, in fact, be the favorite because he is the established fighter. He's The same thing I said about Overeem. He's worked through adversity. He's not as diverse as Overeem in his skill set. But once again, he's shown more under duress and, and against a broader, broader and wider range of opponents during his time in the octagon and even outside of the octagon. The issue that become the thing that makes things equal is the fact that Nganu is such a dynamic athlete. He's so physically strong. He's so explosive. He seemingly hits so hard and is so fast and picks up things so quickly. That's the determining factor because as a person who trains, you know this and I know this. And it goes for not just it doesn't go for just uh, traditional sports. It goes for combat sports too. Athleticism that matters. And when you have a guy who is maybe twice as good an athlete, three times as good an athlete as you. It's very hard to make that up unless you're 10 times better than them technically. And as good as Stevie is, he's not the hardest guy to hit. Even though he can wrestle a little bit, he's not a guaranteed take-you-down-off-the-first-shot wrestler. He's not even a really good ground-control kind of guy. There's avenues he could take to disrupt Nganu and to slow Nganu. But as far as like his actual skill set that says he could just take him down and dominate him, I haven't seen that Stipe. As far as the skill set that says he could just outbox him at range and pick him apart, I haven't seen that Stipe either. I've seen him get hit by guys who weren't as good an athlete as Nganu. I've seen guys who weren't as good an athlete or hit as hard as Nganu put Stipe on his butt or push him back to the fence with strikes. So it just becomes a matter of is Stipe going to be disciplined and controlled enough in his aggression that he can use his experience and use his veteran savvy to take over the fight, to extend Nganu and put him in positions he hasn't been in. So far, everybody's fighting fought Nganu rookies, so they don't have the veteran savvy or the skill set. And then the one time he fought a veteran, in my opinion, Overeem kind of panicked and just fought a ridiculously stupid fight and then got KO'd for it. Overeem had the skills to make this a very difficult fight, and he made it really easy. Something Nganu did to him caught him off guard and made it really easy. I'm hoping that Stipe is a little bit more focused, a little bit controlled in his aggression, and able to handle a physical... Maybe he adjusts to the physical ability and the strength of Nganu a little bit faster than other guys have. Because usually most guys get so intimidated by what Nganu can do physically that they throw the game plan out the window, and they end up fighting. He kind of takes over and either knocks him out or just beats him senseless. So what I find most interesting about how this fight is being presented... Um, right now is that Nganu is being positioned as someone who can be a big star for the organization. I mean, they're really leveraging his look, his skills, and it looks like they're trying to make this work for them at the right point in time. Uh, I am a fan of this, you know, because he's definitely, uh, he's, he's someone who can deliver in the cage. He's definitely someone that can that can put the hurt on somebody and make it look great at the same time. I mean that Alice Overeem. I wish I had a, a fucking poster out of that uppercut, that that one picture that that they have. Not that I'm saying not to pick on anybody, but that is one of those shots that you just want a picture of uh, and have it framed somewhere. What are your thoughts about Nganu as a star? Do you see him having that ability to be an attraction to bring more people in, into the sport? 
I also saw someone even talk about him saying that we may be witnessing the Mike Tyson of MMA. I think that's a that's a that's a lot to say because Mike Tyson had he had other things that made him interesting throughout his his career, good and bad. Uh, and it's too early to say that about Ngannou. That's a hell of a comparison. But do you think that this is a guy who well, the thing about Ngannou, as a champion? Soon? He has a look. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Like in, no, in, in during combat sports, the heavyweight champion is always always kept, had the weight. They've always carried the reputation of being spectacular and standing out. And that's what they're kind of getting back to. All the other heavyweights, if you notice, you don't, you don't like heavyweight MMA because usually it's two big guys who, while they can do damage, if they don't knock each other out immediately, it ends up being two big guys who, who roll around and they're not, not very skilled and they're not very dynamic and they're not very exciting and they're not very violent in how they fight. And that's what's turned off a lot of people to the uh, heavyweight mixed martial arts because it's so slow-paced and grinding. You don't have anybody who looks like you want a heavyweight world champion who looks like a superhero. And when he fights, he destroys people. He levels people. He leaves an impression every time he fights. And Ganu does that. And Ganu does that. He's a he's a great look. He looks like he was chiseled out of stone. He's dynamic as a fighter. He's got great athleticism. And and unlike a lot of guys, he he wants to, he wants to talk to the public. He presents himself very well. He communicates very well as far as like the message he's trying to get across, and he and more importantly, he talks with his fists very well. So he has star potential. I mean, the biggest thing a lot of heavyweight fighters have been missing is the destructive power and the look. He's got both of them. I mean, Fedor is one of the best heavyweights of all time, but he didn't look like a destroyer. He didn't look like the way you would want a, a dominating heavyweight to look like. Frank Mir had a kind of a look at one point, but he wasn't. He, he wasn't devastating enough as an offensive fighter, and he wasn't tough enough as an offensive fighter. You know, you want somebody who stands out and stands far above the regular people, where a guy thinks that he's unstoppable, that he's essentially a Superman, and Ngannou's built up that image so far, because everybody he touches goes flying across the cage and stays down, not for five or ten seconds, but we're talking about five or ten minutes. So I think he has some potential, because he has that look, he has sort of a charisma, and the way he's destroying people is the kind of thing that leaves impressions in people's minds. And that's something you haven't seen from heavyweights in a long time. It's usually like Cain Velasquez who lands 2,000 strikes and takes you down a bunch of times and grinds on you. I mean, he sets a high pace, but it's not really exciting. It doesn't leave, really leave that impression of him being superhuman. Junior DeSantos would have been the closest thing to it. But uh, DeSantos, DeSantos didn't quite have that look. So I, I think that Ngannou has that potential, and I think he really could turn it around and become a star. I don't even think they really have to push him that, that much. If he has another devastating knockout or two, I think he pretty much starts his ascending to stardom. And I think people want to, they want a heavyweight who's, who's unstoppable, who looks like he's unstoppable. I mean, that's what they, they got with um, Tyson. That's what, that was the whole issue with Tyson. Tyson didn't talk like a tough guy. He fought like one. He was destroying people. He was fast. He was explosive. He was dangerous. And that's what brought people in. And I think Ngannou's got some of that uh, natural charisma, that natural charm in both his fighting style and how he presents himself. So last question about this topic before we move on to some other action. What are your thoughts about whether or not the UFC is, um, what's the word, jumping on this too soon? Because he is coming off of a big knockout. This fight is, it'll be a little more than six weeks out from where we sit right now. Do you think they should have let this stew a little bit, um, or are they kind of seizing the moment? Because we all know what would have happened if they would have put Ngannou in some other fight. Um, he would have 
had some freak accident and Mark Hunt would have knocked them out or something like that. And then we'd be like, well, here we are all over again. Do you think they're kind of seizing the, the season of time at the right point in time? I just, I mean, the, even if they're rushing it, what else can they do? Mark Hunt's coming off a win, but he talked himself out of the fight because of saying he, he couldn't remember things, supposedly. I don't even know how true that story is. But Mark Hunt's unavailable. Junior DeSanto's popped hot. He over him just got knocked out. Arvlowski's only won one out of his last what five fights. Derek Lewis is just coming off a loss and has never looked dominant. He's never looked dominant. He just never has. He's won fights, but he's in all those fights. He, even the fights he's won, he's been losing in the majority of them. So who who else is there? Cain Velasquez is coming off a win, right? But has Cain Velasquez looked anything like a dominant fighter recently? He hasn't even been active. So who else is there to? To fight Stipe, which it looks believable. Stipe's already beaten Overeem. He's already beaten Verdum, and he's beaten other guys. So, who is there to put as a challenge for you to actually take it seriously? Think about that. They, 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 they don't really have enough fighters. They don't have enough fighters. They don't have enough talent. They don't have enough of anything. Like so I, they, I have, um, they have to have the fight. Could you imagine if if Inganu was in the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix. Could you imagine the carnage that would be? Uh, yeah, you would. You'd have to think that he would. He'd probably just walk through. He'd probably just walk through everybody. Then once again, unlike the you, even the one thing about the the Bellator Heavyweight Division is they might not have a lot of top name guys or a number of guys, but they do have guys with experience. Obviously, um, Chael Sonnen and some of the other guys wouldn't be much of a threat, but. The guys he'd be facing would be more experienced than ninety percent of the guys he's facing the UFC so far. Yeah, that's I still think true. I, think, I still think experience means something if you take advantage of it. But if you get spooked early or you get too aggressive or you just fight dumb, then doesn't matter how much experience you have, you just eliminated it by fighting in a manner that's not conducive to you winning. And that that's what I think a lot of fighters do. They have the experience, they just don't have the poise when they can't do certain things they want to do. So that's all I really wanted to sit here and cover on that for right now so let's move on to the next um next topic i guess i want to look back to uh ufc 218 where we saw max holloway um dominate not dominate that's not the right word max holloway defeat jose aldo for the second time in two straight fights and kind of solidifying himself as the featherweight champion of the world and first i want to talk about what you saw in the fight what are some of your breakdowns in the fight and let's talk about legacy aspect um let's see what happens from there uh i just i just think that it simply came down to the fact that jose aldo couldn't hurt him that's the main thing jose aldo has never been a guy who could fight at pace he's never been a guy who keeps a high pace or likes to exchange a lot or likes to lead he likes to kind of sit back and counter and when guys come at him he either he he throws he counters and he counters heavily leg kicks, straight shots, counter hooks, shots to the body, whatever you want to call it. He counters heavily, and when he counters guys, guys get scared off. They get scared off because they know they can't take that power. Guys usually come at him fairly aggressively. They take some leg kicks, they take some jabs, some right hands, some left hands, some left hooks, some right hooks, uppercuts, knees, and all of a sudden they don't come as aggressively. They make a silent agreement that I'm only going to push so hard, and if they only push so hard. Then Jose's only going to counter so hard and only counter so much. And they sit in, they fit into a rhythm where he takes over the fight and he just coasts the way out, all the way out. And then he has a few spots where he explodes with some offense. The problem he had with Max, with, uh, Max Holloway 
is he couldn't really hurt Max Holloway. He knocked him around like the first fight. He scored some shots. He made him feel some pain, but he couldn't really hurt him. He couldn't do enough damage where Max Holloway said, I don't want, I don't want to push forward. I don't want to throw volume. I don't want, I don't want to let my hands go. He, Max Holloway took everything he, could, he, he had to offer, and then Max Holloway slowly ramped up his pace and ramped up his physicality and ramped up his volume. And he just exposed Jose Aldo because Jose Aldo likes to take rest. He likes to control the pace. He likes to chop you up. When he fought, the only other time somebody really pushed him was when Chad Mendes came at him. Chad Mendes came out. He opened up. He's exchanging with him heavily. But the simple fact of the matter is Chad Mendes couldn't, A, keep up the pace, and B, he couldn't take the punishment. So at some point, Chad Mendes started fighting less and less, throwing less and less shots, and slowly Jose Aldo started taking over the fight. With Max Holloway, there was no deceleration. He just kept lifting up a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, until Aldo didn't have any any choice and any hope but to just as hard as he can and hope that he could knock Max out before Max just warmed down and overwhelmed him. He did that in the first fight, he did that in the second fight, and both times he wasn't able to do it, to knock him out, and both times Max overwhelmed him. He just He just couldn't keep up the pace because Nothing he did was scare Max off. Max felt he could take whatever shots he had and keep on pressing. And that, that was the difference. Max could take it. Max could dish it out. And Jose Aldo couldn't match a pace. He was forced to fight at a pace that he couldn't maintain or build on, and he lost. And that, that's really the story, the, the story of the fight. I mean, there's a couple different things. Max's length makes it harder because where Jose is usually safe to counter and slip and, and out of range when you're dealing with a longer, taller fighter who uses all his weapons, like... Long jabs, long right hands, and long kicks and knees, you're not really safe. So even when you're in your safe zone, you got to work to be defensively sound and move and pivot, block and catch and, and evade shots. And then also when you're trying to get your offense on, it's the offense off, instead of taking kind of shuffling forward a couple inches, now you have to take a step or a whole step and a half to get in those shots. So you're working harder on defense because there's no safety zone. You're working harder on offense because you've got to cross more distance to get your shots off. So basically, Jose is working at a higher pace, defensively, offensively, and he wasn't able to maintain it. And the only way he usually maintains his pace is because he hurts guys bad enough where they don't want to push the pace on him. He could never hurt Max Holloway enough, so Max Holloway kept coming and eventually just chopped him down. So there's a few different things I would like to talk about here. Because in on one hand, we have Al- I almost said Alloway. We have Holloway looking looking great you know everyone keeps talking about his progression as a fighter each time he steps into the cage and he continues to look better every time he does so that's one aspect i want to talk about and then the other is aldo let's talk about aldo first because what's been happening about um mr aldo is that people are talking about his legacy in a way where it makes you think that a he was never as great as because he was hyped up to be and b that he's done um he's only 31 years old so i personally don't think he's done per se but i think he has to be creative in what he does next with his career does he move up to 155 does he take like only particular matches at at featherweight because as long as um as long as Holloway's champion, he's not getting another title shot. And even if Frankie Edgar became champion, I doubt that they would still give him another title shot. So let's talk about him first. What do you do next with, with his career, and how creative can you really get with someone at 31 years old who isn't a huge star, but is still a name worth recognizing in the sport? Um, How can I put it? I mean, at this point, he's kind of in the Michael Bisping point. I mean, let's to be honest, let's... 
to be honest, he could still he's probably no worse than the number two um, featherweight in the world. I don't think that Frankie Edgar can still beat him. I don't think Jeremy Stevens beat him. I don't think Dennis Bermudez beats him. I don't think Yair Rodriguez beats him. Um, there's a lot of guys at 45 who I just don't think beat Jose Aldo simply because on a technical level, they can't kickbox with him. I still don't know that they can take him down. I still haven't seen him really taken down and worked over. So I know that they can take him down. And so far, a lot of those guys, Cub Swanson included and other guys, I don't know that they could take the power he has. If they can handle his power and not get scared off or not back off or not slow down after he lands his, his power shots, okay, then we have something to talk about. But so far, nobody except for Max Holloway has been able to take the full measure of Aldo's power and his offensive burst and keep going. We've seen Frankie Edgar try it twice. And you can say Jose Aldo's slowing down, but if he's slowing down, what's happening to Frankie Edgar? He dominated him even more than he did in the first fight. And a lot of these other guys don't have the width of skills that Max Holloway have, nor do they have the chin, and they definitely don't have the ability to fight at the pace that Max Holloway fights it on a regular basis. So I can't say that Aldo's a past his prime. I can say he's no longer elite because there's the gap between him and everybody else has closed, but he's still starting away ahead of most people in his featherweight division. The only thing is those guys don't generate money. Those fights don't generate interest. Him fighting Laurent, Ricardo Lamas twice again, Nobody cares about that. Him fighting Cub Swanson, nobody cares about that. Him fighting Brian Ortega is a big risk, but it doesn't, it's a big risk for him, but it doesn't really pay the money he wants and it doesn't do anything for his career as far as moving him up. He'd have, you know, fights where people might care, people might be interested to see it as if he moves up. And wait, we've already seen him at 45 and we've seen him beat the majority of these guys. Do we want to see it again? Am I paying money for that? No. But if he moves up, I might. As far, if he wants to make money and kind of make a impact i would think he'd have to move up if he just wants to keep fighting and stay in the loop and hang around long enough to get another shot at the title all the way moves up and he just stays a, he just stays a featherweight and and just keeps going there until eventually until he either declines or until he works himself back into a title fight so do you would you like to see him go up to, up to lightweight i wonder um if he could go to another promotion. Like, I wonder how many fights he has left on his contract and would he be able to go over to Bellator and kind of re-emerge, not re-emerge, but just kind of be successful there. I think he's someone that definitely could um, because we haven't seen him we haven't seen him necessarily wilt. Like, he, well, I mean, is, actually, as I say that, you know, he has been one-shotted and, you know, um, Holloway did basically put him out via strikes twice so it's even hard to really say that do you think he's someone well, that remember very few people can do what holloway did though holloway has already run through the entire featherweight division essentially before he won the title he almost beat everybody who's somebody at featherweight so it's not like holloway's just some tough guy who who has skills or some busy guy who's who doesn't have tough he's a com he's, he's a good combination of skills and he's he's fought more than jose in the past couple of years he's fought a better level of competition and he's been more active it's it's not like it's not like Holloway some kind of pushover and losing to him is some indictment on Aldo's ability as a fighter because at featherweight he's like I said the clear number two and the difference between him the number two and the number three guy is the difference between you know um, I don't know me and uh, LeBron James it's just that much of a gap he's that much better he's still on decline but what other guy at 45 have you seen fight well enough where you say well he could still he could take Aldo I mean, Aldo didn't look as dominant as he used to, and, he, and Holloway's got his number, 
but I can't say I see Jeremy Stevens wiping the floor with them, a Frankie Edgar, a Cub Swanson, a Brian Ortega, where I bet money on them to beat Aldo. He hasn't slipped that much, not yet. Okay, all right, so that's some good um, analysis there. Let's keep moving down the card because we had a, uh, we already talked about Overeem and Ganu basically at length. So let's talk about Alvarez and Gaethje. That was a hell of a fight. It was exactly what everyone thought it would be, except with the fact that Alvarez came out on top. I feel like most people were understandably betting against um, the underground king just because of the number of violent affairs he's been in. But man, once again, he comes out big and he gets a big win here. And it's a win that doesn't hurt Gaethje's stock too much either because one to two wins, he could be right back into the conversation here. So what are your thoughts about this fight here and what you saw? Uh, I thought, as we talked about last week, I thought Gaethje could win. And I thought Gaethje would win. The, uh, the main thing, but I did mention that Alvarez has avenues to win. Because if Alvarez boxes, stays in and around that pocket, he can outbox him. He can outposition him. He can outslick him. He can counterpunch him. He can get his jab working. He can kind of pick him apart. The thing about Alvarez is that Alvarez usually, once he gets cracked hard or you set a certain pace, he resorts to brawling. And, the, and another factor is he hasn't been great at checking leg kicks. Another factor would be that he often tires late to fight. Nobody would have imagined that if in a high-impact, high-paced fight, that he would be able to maintain his composure and his poise and his discipline and his attack. Because he's never done that. I've seen fights where he's outboxing guys and he's giving them the business. And then a guy makes an adjustment and then he doesn't have anything else. He starts getting chopped up. He starts getting tired. Best case scenario, he hangs on and gets into a firefight that he has the skills and experience to avoid. So what he did was he just stayed disciplined. He outboxed Gaethje. Gaethje came in there, used, his, used that high guard to pick off shots. And a lot of guys in mixed martial arts, they'll just wail away at the high guard. They'll punch in between it. They'll try and punch around it. What he did was he was stepping around Gaethje and taking angles and pivots and getting around the guard and getting underneath the guard, punishing the body. Punishing the body, chopping him down, tearing him up to the body, cutting into his gas tank, slowing Gaethje down so Gaethje couldn't consistently attack with leg kicks and consistently put pressure on and consistently push him back. Because everybody looks at Gaethje as an unstoppable force, like he just runs guys over, but Gaethje takes rest. When you're on the defensive covering up, he's not throwing as hard. He's resting. When he's pushing you back, he doesn't have to worry about you countering or you spinning out because most guys don't have the footwork. You just move right back. So he's resting. He's able to get work done while he's resting. When he's inside of those head-to-head, forehead-to-forehead with you, he's unloading shots, which is taking energy. But since he's controlling the pace and he's controlling the intensity of the fight, he's also resting. Against Alvarez, he was never able to rest because Alvarez kept stepping around him, pivoting, picking off shots, rolling with shots, digging and consistently digging to the body. That was essentially the difference, the body, the body assault. Gaethje wasn't prepared for it. Alvarez's team had it scouted out, and the body attack is essentially what, what took all the power out of Gaethje and, and to me, set up the knockout late in the fight. It, I don't think Gaethje was so much just hurt or crushed by the power, but when you've taken essentially three rounds of consistent body shots, head-on, straight there, coming forward, it's going to have an impact on you. That takes your legs. That takes your core strength. That takes your energy. And you don't have anything left. We've seen Gaethje take huge shots from round one to round five and always recover. This time he took the shot. He had nothing left. He went down and he, he was finished. He couldn't get back up. He, he was trying to, but he couldn't do anything else because he was just, he had been over, he'd been overextended 
outworked and just beaten up. Um, it was an excellent showing from Alvarez. I, I really thought Alvarez was on the way to losing the fight because Gagey seemed like he was coming on awfully hard late in the fight. But all that early work he did with the body body punches is what is what turned the fight in his favor. Like they say, you, you made that investment in the bank and it pays off and he invested in it from round one all the way to right before the fight ended in round three. So I'm looking at that whole thing and I'm just like, well, what do you do next with both men? With Alvarez coming off of this win, I would love to see them rebook the fight against Dustin Poirier. And Poirier was on um, MMA, but not MMA, the the, the, the MMA hour this week, basically doing his best to hype up that fight there. So that's what I would like to see next. But what are some of your thoughts about what they would do next with either man? I really think it would have been best for the division if Gaethje won, not because Alvarez isn't a good fighter, isn't a good guy, but we've already seen Alvarez against a lot of these guys, and it's going to be hard for people to give the image of Alvarez getting dominated and out, outclassed and dominated by um, Conor McGregor. I mean, when he fought McGregor, he didn't even look like he belonged in the same class or the same organization or the same cage with him. Conor beat him and made it look easy. And even when he's on his way to the title, the win over RDA, the win over RDA, very impressive. You know, he knocked him out and won, won with a dynamic finish, correct? But the wins over Pettis, that wasn't really a barn burner. The win over Melendez, eh, that wasn't a real barn burner either. And the, win o- and the fight against Tyrone, he lost. He came out, controlled the first round, but then started getting chopped up with leg kicks. He got worn down and eventually lost the decision. So it's not like he's been putting on such he's been, been such a dominant force in the uh, in the division. He's won, but a lot of his fights have been close wins, tight wins where he's taken as good as he's given. So it's kind of people already know who Eddie is. This win helps him and it helps his brand. But as far as moving the division forward in, in interesting matchups, it doesn't really help anything because you can't put him in a title fight. He got dominated by the champion. There's there's really no interest in it, and you don't want him knocking off somebody like Ferguson. Because then that is one less guy you have to take over the division if Connor doesn't come back. Because if Connor doesn't come back and Ferguson's the guy, let's say Alvarez beats him, so the guy who got totally smoked by Connor is now the lightweight champion. That doesn't that doesn't sell with the fans. I mean, think about think about how badly done Daniel Cormier's got it because he's never beaten John Jones. Eddie Alvarez is in that same problem situation. Gaethje was the guy who had the exciting style, who had the chin that couldn't be dented. They got knocked all around, and no matter what kind of punishment you gave him, he kept going. And he's still an exciting fighter. He put on a good showing. Technically, he showed a lot of improvements, defensive awareness or diversity in his offense. But the fact of the matter is he got stopped, and he got stopped by a fighter that a lot of people thought was on the way out. So it doesn't ding him because of who Eddie Alvarez is, but it puts him essentially into the back of the line now as far as getting a title shot or being pushed as a, you know, co-main, co-main event type fighter because he's going to have to recover from this and he's going to have to make some adjustments because now people have kind of a blueprint to attack him with. So he's going to have to keep growing and keep perfecting his craft. But um, like I said, they'll probably keep Eddie busy. Maybe they'll have him rematch Dustin Poirier. I can't see them putting him in with uh, Tony Ferguson. I don't think Tony Ferguson wants that fight. I think Tony Ferguson would have rather fight Gaethje. It would have came with a little bit more cachet and excitement. And um, I don't think that fighting Eddie Alvarez, even though he's at the peak of his powers as far as popularity, I don't know that that does as much for Ferguson. 
because it's a dangerous fight. He loses. He loses to the guy that Conor McGregor smoked, and he struggles with him. He struggled with the guy that Conor McGregor smoked. So what is that? Where does that leave him at? How dominant does that make him? What what kind of position does that put him in to demand Conor come out of retirement and face him? Yeah, man, that's definitely some um, some key analysis there, and I'm interested in seeing what they do with these guys next because that man, that lightweight division is so freaking stacked. It's like out of control. They can make that into a separate division and it would still be equally as exciting because there's so many guys there with Edson, Ferguson, Kevin Lee, Paul Felder, Eddie, Justin, I mean Dustin. You have so many different guys and I haven't even named the um, the, the champion in, in, in Conor McGregor. So there's so many different guys there that would be a hell of a um, a hell of a ride just to watch them fight right now. So I think this is a good time for I'll that division. You, this helped Conor a lot because even though he beat Max a long time ago, he beat Max. Max beat Alda dominantly. And Ma- even though Max beat Alda dominantly, Connor can still say, I knocked him out in 13 seconds. It took you three rounds two times to assert your dominance over him. I've already beaten you. And then the guy he beat soundly, without even breaking a sweat, beat the supposedly unstoppable, unstoppable most dynamic, most violent fighter in mixed martial arts today. And he did it in dynamic, spectacular fashion. So, I mean, even though you can't do MMA math, that doesn't really work in the real world. For Connors fans, for casual people, it just makes him look that much better. Like, look, these guys, he decimated. He dominated. And look at what they're doing to the rest of the division. Look what they're doing to each other. And he made it, he, he, he beat them and he made it look easy. So, as yeah, a result of all this, he, his star has gone to get a little bit bigger. The legend of Conor McGregor has gotten even better. Definitely there, man. Definitely good. So, um... Let's move on from these two, and let's talk about um, Henry Cejudo's win over Anthony Pettis. Was this a win that, I mean, the fans were booing him and shit, which is, you know, their typical bullshit when a wrestler is doing the damn thing. But um, what are some of your thoughts about this win here? And I think that I feel the same way about this win as I did for the Justin Gaethje loss. I don't think Sergio Pettis loses too much with losing here. Well, the biggest thing about it is, the only way you needed the only way the win really impacts Cejudo is if there was a chance that he was getting that title fight. I don't believe that anything he would have done would have got him the title fight. I believe the UFC wants TJ versus DJ, and they're going to make every kind of financial concession feasible, realistic, to get to get Mighty Mouse and Dillashaw in the cage facing each other. And like I said before, Mighty Mouse wants that push. He wants it back in the organization. He knows what he has to do. And if he chooses not to do it, then he's going to start dealing with Unfair or not, he's got to deal with the consequences of taking a lesser challenge or taking a lesser name. Um, Pettis doesn't lose a lot fighting Cejudo because him and Cejudo fought, and Cejudo didn't knock him out. Cejudo didn't bruise him up and beat him up and knock him around. Cejudo out-wrestled him. Cejudo's an Olympic gold medalist. He's one of the finest wrestlers in the world. He's a world-class athlete who, who used his specialty to basically control and uh, out-position Sergio Pettis. He didn't really pound on him. He wasn't close to submitting him. And when they had exchanges on the feet, Pettis more than more than held his own. He landed good shots. He countered him. He was able to get away from a lot of Cejudo shots. And he a lot of his movements and his feints and his and his setups and his offense kind of kept Cejudo from firing off, whether it's the counter or whether it's the lead. So in his specialty on the feet, he held his own. And even on the ground, though he was he couldn't get up and he couldn't he couldn't consistently get up, nor could he finish. He was never just completely dominated as far as being submitted or grounded and pounded. He was just controlled and vision. 
So he doesn't really lose anything because if anybody would have said what guaranteed way is there for Cejudo to win, you know, because Pettis has been taken down by much lesser wrestlers. It, it's something the Pettis brothers have never been good at. So Cejudo so wrestling, wrestling him was the easiest way to victory and, and the most dominant way he could do it without putting himself at any risk. And that's what he did. So, I mean, Cejudo out-wrestled out Pettis. Is anybody shocked by that? It's like Damian Maya submitting someone. Oh, you got taken down and submitted by Damian Maya. So does everybody else. You got out-wrestled by Cejudo. So does everybody else. It doesn't take anything away from him. It's not a huge setback. It's not a bad look for him. It just means he can't wrestle on the level of a, of a uh, Olympic medal, gold medalist wrestler. But then again, who can? Then again, who can? That is a, um, that is a key question there. So I, I will give Cejudo credit for one thing. He just he made the fight easy. He could have gotten to exchanges. He could have really tried Pettis on the feet. And even though he's a better athlete and he's dynamic and he's explosive and he's durable, Pettis is a very seasoned striker. He's a very technical striker. He's a very patient and strategically and situationally aware striker. So if he was going to try and trade hands and kicks with Pettis, he was going to give Pettis a lot of chances to win. He decided to take it out of the judges' hands, in the sense of take it out of the hands, take all the risk out of it, and just go to his key strength. And that's what he did, and that's not exciting. But given the fact that I don't think he was going to get the fight with Mighty Mouse, no matter how he performs, and given the fact that he's just coming off of before his win over Wilson Hayes, he had lost two fights in a row, he, he couldn't afford any setbacks. So he needed to fight as smart as he could and just keep himself in the general vicinity of a title fight. He didn't need to go crazy. He didn't need to prove a point. He didn't need to put on a show. He needed to get wins. That's what he needs. That's, at the end of the day, this is what matters, winning fights. And that's what he did. So man, like I, I'm, I, I agree with you. This win doesn't make me any more interested in seeing Sahudo fighting um, Mighty Mouse again. I think that they are going to do whatever they can to get the fight with uh, TJ booked and booked Earth early next year. And that doesn't make me upset. Now that TJ has a title over his shoulder, I think it does make that fight much more interesting. If he can make weight and if um, Mighty Mouse gets his million dollars, that's kind of where I'm standing on that but that is a very um important fight there for them to make i think it's more important than so so hudo uh being put back into the title picture at this time and that division is kind of in a similar place as heavyweight because they don't have anybody who's really ready to hop off the off the page and into um title contention quite yet so nope, let's keep um looking forward there because we have uh do you want to talk about the tisha torres and Michelle Watterson fight. I mean, we kind of talked about that at length last week, where you picked Torres to win, and it basically went down exactly how you said it would. Um, Torres got the better of her on her feet. Um, Watterson had some had some moments on the ground, but she was basically almost pounded out there as well. I mean, she's tough as shit. She held on for um, three rounds, but she was unable to to get the win. What were your thoughts about some of the things that went down here? It's just a reminder. No matter how much we try to romanticize effort and skill in sports, athleticism, size, and power matters. Keisha Torres isn't even a super big straw weight, and she was, I saw her in those clinches, she was ragdolling Michelle Watterson. It's, it's like she was fighting somebody in another weight class. She couldn't, she couldn't hold position, she couldn't get off the cage. When she got taken down, I mean, she was able to maneuver and, and, and do some sweeps and attempt submissions, but she wasn't really able to get Torres off of her. Torres essentially did what she wanted, and it's, it's sad because Watterson's closer to the end of his career, her career than she is the beginning. And the simple fact of the matter is she's world-class at atom weight, but at straw weight, she's 
Stephanie Average. She's got skills, she's got experience, but she does not have the horsepower, whether it's physical strength or striking power, to um to beat the better girls in division. And if she keeps on staying here, it's just going to be rinse and repeat. This 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 loss was a less dominant version of what Rose Namajunas did to her when she fought her before. But it was the same story. She couldn't take the power. She couldn't handle the physical strength, and she couldn't handle the positions on the ground. And and, and Torres did the same thing. So. It, I would really think that if she wants to maximize her career, she should probably move down weights. But since UFC doesn't have an atom weight division, I guess she's going to continue to fight at straw weight. But um, I don't know what kind of success she has against the best, the best girls at straw weight. You can't beat Tisha Torres. You surely can't beat Caroline Kowalkiewicz. You can't beat Claudia Gedalia. You can't beat Jessica Andrade. I don't know that she could beat Tatiana Suarez right now, and she's only had one fight in the UFC officially. Oh, excuse me, too. So let's talk about a couple of different things there. Torres, you know, I'm I'm all in with her getting the next um, title shot. I, I definitely believe that, you know, she's the next person in line. Um, obviously, A, because she has that win over Rose, and they had a very compelling fight recently. So I, I think it's, it's, it's exactly what should happen. But I want to talk about Watterson for a second, because do you think that in the UFC's effort to make her in such, into such a star, and you know she's faltered in her last two fights, do you think they would be go as far as to even create an atom weight division for her? You, we've seen them do it for Cyborg, and they have a bigger place in their heart for Michelle. Do you think that they would be go out of their way to make an atom weight division for her to see her be more competitive? I mean, I guess they could. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know how long she's going to be fighting, like, actively. I don't know that she's going to be in this for another three to four years. And at no point was Michelle considered really, you know... I mean, I guess at one point she was considered one of the better, if not the best, Adam weight. I just don't know that's feasible. They just added another division. Are they going to be so quick to add another one? I mean, it takes a lot of time and energy to launch a division. And that means you got to bring in a lot of girls and put them under contract right now. Is she really worth that trouble? Or do you see another girl who could compete at Adam weight? who you feel could be a potential star. That's the question. I don't know if that person exists. You know, I mean, they, they'd have more than enough. I, I just can't see them doing it. Not right now. It's a potential that they could do it at some point, but it just seems like so much effort, so much trouble to, to put one fighter in the right position. And think about this. They did that with the weight class um, for the flyweight division because they were expecting to have Honchak and Mata Ferry to be in the finals. That didn't work out for them either. So when it's in a real sport, well, real competition, you never know how things are going to go. So you, if you're building your hopes around pushing a certain kind of star or building a certain kind of brand, there, there's no guarantee of that. There's no guarantee no matter how much the gap is experience or how much the gap, gap is in, in skill, you don't know who's going to come out on top. So you make this division for the instance of pushing for Michelle Watterson, uh, she's still got to go in there and get the job done. And if she can't, then you've created yet another division with another person who's not a draw. So what would you do with her, man? She's struggling to be dominant in this weight class. She's clearly smaller than everyone. What do you do with her? I mean, like I said, you could have you could have her continue to work the desk. You could just have her fight. You could put her in some favorable matchups. To be quite honest, I didn't think that she should be fighting someone at Tisha Torres' level coming off a loss. Tisha Torres had won two fights in a row. Michelle Watterson just got dropped, beaten up, and finished in her last fight. Why are you having her go against a, a top five, top seven type fighter when she just got dominated and finished by a girl who was a top, who was a top three, top five type fighter? 
what sense does that make? Wouldn't you want to get her an easier fight and kind of let her get her confidence, uh, work on any new, new improvements she made, and face somebody who isn't one of the better, stronger, more experienced fighters in the division? I mean, to me, that makes sense. Why, why wouldn't they do it? Why would they put her in that situation and put her right back in the fire? That's what they did. I mean, unless they were trying to sh- jump the line, but that was never going to work. And so they did it again. The same thing they tried to do with Anthony Pettis, and it didn't work then, and it's not working now. They, they should have put her in with somebody else and, s- and saw what she had and saw where she was at, and they didn't do that. They put her right back in with, a, with an elite person, and she lost her second fight in a row. So they essentially took her out of the running for being considered an elite fighter or being considered a contender. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what they do with her next. I understand that she has some, I mean, she has some cachet. She's a mom. She's, you know, very, she has a a hell of a personality. I don't know if you follow her on um, Instagram or Twitter. She has a hell of a personality. Uh, And, I mean, obviously she's, she's attractive and they do their best to promote attractive women ahead of some of those that, that, that they don't. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with her next well, I mean, over the all, coming months I mean, and year. All this stuff matters and it matters a lot, but it does, it matters less when you're not winning and against their best opposition, the two best fighters she's faced, she lost and she lost decisively. It, it wasn't really close. She got finished by Rose, who's now the champ. So she's got no chance. She's nowhere near a title fight. Then she got beat by Taurus, who's a top five to seven fighter, and she got beat, it wasn't even close. She had a few moments, but it wasn't really a competitive fight. So you've had her lose to two, two of the people towards the top end of the, the division. How do you repackage her again and put her right back in? You, you can have her fight. Um, adjustments? Go ahead. Look at, look at Felice Herrick, though. Felice Herrick was known as a good personality, and she had a, what all this similar, similar stuff to what Watterson did. But nobody really took Felice Herrick seriously because Felice Herrick would win some and lose some. Felice Herrick is starting to be taken very seriously now because she is putting wins together. Until you put wins together, all that other stuff about your charisma, your charm, your backstory actually becomes like an anchor around your neck. It holds you back more than it pushes you forward. Your story is only interesting if you're winning. Your, your charisma only really matters if you're winning. Imagine, imagine if Conor McGregor talked the trash he talked, but he was 0-5 in the UFC. And that's, and that's very important there because Felice Herrick is a very good example because, you know, she's 4-0. I mean, she's, she's put together a, a four-fight win streak. Uh, she's only lost to Paige Van Zandt in a fight that she was winning um, before she let the second and third rounds get away from her. I think she does need to be taken much more seriously in this division, and I'll be interested to see what they do with her next and, and where they can where they can put her. Because she's one of those type of fighters that can derail a prospect if they throw them in there too quickly against her or she's someone she's someone that can that can surprise a lot of people and find herself in the number one um contenders position and she has personality she has everything of of the makings to be a a a champion whether you like her or not for how she originally presented herself i definitely think she is a threat at 115. well the thing about fleece herrig is she played the game right she uh, it's like somebody who made all the right decisions, saved their money, went to school, got a good job, and now they're having fun in their late, mid-20s, early 30s. They're just having a good time. And the other people who, who partied, hung out, went around, spent money, stayed up late, didn't focus, now they're focused on trying to establish the financial stability. 
she's already set up a social media presence. She's already got her connection. She's already established herself as a dependable marketer or a person worth sponsoring. So now at this point in her career, all she's got to do is focus on getting better, focus on refining her skills, focus on diversifying her skills, focus on making the most of the experience and the talent she does have because she's not a top-end athlete. She's not a top-end kickboxer, not a top-end grappler, not a top-end boxer. She's a woman with good athletic skills, good but not great technical and strategical skills. What she excels in is situational awareness because she's fought all types of fighters at all types of levels and been put in all different kinds of ranges and places and positions that have helped her accrue experience. And because she has that experience, she's able to figure things out, work her way out of bad spots. And when she's facing these fighters who've got great athletic skill but limited experience, in their skills, she exposes them. Kaylee Coran, great athlete, great physicality, great durability, great pace, but she doesn't have good situational awareness. Casey Courtney, is great physicality, great power, is great on the ground, but she has bad IQ. She has bad IQ, and she has limited she has limited creativity in her offensive skill sets. When she fought Justine Kish, Another physical, dynamic person who's got a good balance of skills, but she lacks cage IQ. She lacks the experience that gives her situational awareness. Felice Herrick is taking advantage of all these girls because they are lacking in what a lot of girls in this division and other divisions are lacking. They're lacking, they're lacking the number of fights. They're lacking the amount of experience. They're lacking the quality of experience she has. And now that she's not focusing on building her brand as much, she's focusing on her craft, she's able to exploit them for all the little minor mistakes um, minor hesitations and lack of development and skill. She's exploiting every single one of the holes they have, even though she's been consistently outgunned by all the girls she's fought in the past, what, year to year and a half to two years. Yeah, that's, that's definitely, um, I mean, that's definitely some true analysis there. That women's strawweight division is going to be hella interesting to watch because, you know, we got Cynthia Calvillo. We have so many different names in that division that you may forget about, but in reality, they are all dangerous. Hell, Mackenzie Dern is fighting tomorrow, and we and she actually made weight. So we don't know. Well, now she moved up. Did she move up weight class? No, 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 no. She was always at 115. She just never had made 115. Was she actually fighting at 125? Either way, this is the first time she's ever made weight in her um, professional career. She came in at 115.9. Uh, so I thought she was always fight. I thought she moved up. Well, no. If you say it, then you, I haven't kept up with it. But I thought she had moved up. No, um, I don't think she moved up for this fight. Let me check. Let me check. Let me check. You might so, be right. You know. While I'm looking at this, let's move on to um the Bellator 189 card, where we had Julia Bud um defend her title against uh what's what's the lady's first name? Something Blinklo. What's her first name? Help me. Who did Julia Bud beat on on Friday? Say it again. Oh, did, she beat uh, Arlene Blinkow. Arlene, that's her name. Yeah, I'm sorry, her first name escaped me. But um, yeah, man. So I'm sorry to pick back up on Mackenzie Dern. Yeah, she came in her last. She's always fought at 115. The last fight she had was at 120. She missed weight, and then she made weight. Or she missed weight again at 118. So yeah, she's never made weight. But anyway. Okay, so she's fighting at flyweight. So yeah, she did go up in the weight class. Yeah, I figured she no, was she gonna didn't. have to. Now, now that the UFC has one conspicuously, all of a sudden she's willing to move her weight. That makes sense to me now. So her last fight was at flyweight, but today she weighed in at one fifteen point five. So let me see. Um, 
I don't know what weight class this fight is going to be at. That's a good question. Because her last fight was at 115, was at flyweight, and that was back in October. But today she weighed in at 115.9. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let, let, let's talk about Julia. But uh, she she was good in, in her win, man. She has not lost since she lost to Ronda Rousey, which was years ago. What are some of your um, thoughts about that? Uh, wait a minute. Who are we talking about again? I just totally slipped my mind. Um, Julia Budd. Julia Budd, um, she's actually a good fighter. I, Because she's built her way up the hard way through the Natalie of her career. And um, she's got a good, she's got a good physical skill set. She's got a broad range of skills. And she's durable and she's got good cardio. In her last fight, she didn't look particularly stand out though. She looks pretty, she looked unfocused. She looked a little sloppy and that, that loss, while I think it was a fairly, I was fairly confident she's going to win. I can't say that her performance left me with an impression that says she's going to be a dominant champion or somebody that Bellator can push anytime soon because Bellator is looking for somebody to push. They're looking for a dominant champion, but every time they get behind somebody, people seem to, or make a big error that puts them on the outskirts and basically waste the time and money that the um, corporations put in between them. I think, I think she's probably, as far as the world over, she's probably a top two or three featherweight, but part of that is just because the division's so thin. I mean, the UFC has a whole division in it, and we hardly have, we hardly have anybody in it. We just have, the only legitimate featherweight they have is, is um, Cyborg, and everybody else is, who's fought for the title or is currently fighting for the title is moving up from Bantamweight. So it's a really thin division. So being the anything except the top fighter in it, it, it doesn't mean as much. Um, I like the fact that Bud's getting some push. I like the fact that she's getting some burn from Bellator. I just don't know what her repeatedly defending the title means in the grand scheme of things because I don't think she beats Cyborg. And given that last fight she had, I, I really think her uh, her stock is taking a little bit of a hit because she's they were one hoping that she'd be a dominant champion after that win over Kunin. Arlene wasn't supposed to be a test, and she was. She was a. She she put in a lot more work and put up a lot more fight than they were expecting. Yeah, and that's definitely true. I will agree with you on that. There, I think that's something that's interesting. Interesting about Bud in Bellator is that they're building up their featherweight division. They're building up all of their women's divisions, actually. I guess like for the future. So it'll be interesting to see what this next year looks like for them when it comes to women's MMA because they've, they've made a lot of key um, acquisitions across the that featherweight and flyweight that are very interesting from a long-term standpoint. I mean, um, even like names like Heather Hardy and, and others, they're, they're very interesting in what they have planned for them next. So we'll see uh, how this works out well, for them. The, but I, the I, I like it. Give me more time to marinate though. Say that again. Like the flyweight, they they were they were you know everybody they've had lots of got people fight featherweight. The only hard part about it is just so thin. It is. It's just such a thin division. You know, flyweight you got tons of girls. You have a whole flyweight division in Bellator that's got what 13, 14, 15 fighters. And UFC they got a whole flyweight division that already has at least 13, 14 fighters if they keep them under contract. Up and dropping down. But in featherweight you still really only have one legitimate featherweight. In the UFC and in, in Bellator, you have like one, two, maybe three or four legitimate welter featherweights, and none of them are as proven as Julia Budd or Cyborg. The gap between them is just tremendous as far as quality of opposition 
level of experience and level of accomplishment in and outside the cage. So it's it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot more time. This lightweight division will be fine in Bellator. They got girls coming from all over. The featherweight division, I'm not. I'm a little concerned about how they're going to maintain it. Okay, I'll definitely take you on that. Let's look at the other fight that I wanted to talk about from this fight card here where Rafael Lovato Jr. Um, defeated Chris Honeycutt. I believe when we talked about this, you were talking about how Chris has not developed into the fighter. Everyone really thought he he would be, but I mean, he looked tough here, but he just didn't really have anything overall for um, Lovato Jr. Yeah, that's the thing about it. He At some point, he was supposed to turn into like a an MMA fighter, not just a wrestler who fights MMA, but a legitimate MMA fighter, and he's never turned the corner. He's always been, like, a wrestler who could strike somewhat competently and a guy who could grapple a little bit, but he's only done it against guys he clearly outclassed or guys he was a, a level above. In the fight, this was supposed to be a fight, yet another fight that was supposed to separate him from everybody else and show that he could be a superstar, show they could build around him, and he lost it. He's never put on that performance that says that he's... He's an, a guy to watch. He's kind of like Brendan Ward in the fact that he's had some good performances. He's had some dominant performances. But every time they've put him in position to take that next step, he's never been able to take it. And they felt, I think they believe he had personality and a little bit of athleticism that would allow them to build and really give him a hard push. But he's never able to make the big wins. And this is yet another example of it. I mean, this wasn't the most favorable matchup because Lovato is a beast. He's a very good fighter. But it was yet another opportunity for him to prove that he, he could be one of the best in the division and, and and throw his name in the ring for a potential title shot. And uh, once again, he, he couldn't get the job done. And, you know, Lovato takes a step forward and, and, and might be just a fight or two away from a title shot himself. That's actually what I was thinking there, man. I think that Lovato has looked good enough that they can sneak him in, in, into a title eliminator, sneak him, sneak him into the title picture at some point in time. And it wouldn't look, it wouldn't look bad, for lack of a better term. He's kind of he's done his work to get to where he is, and I, and I wouldn't agree, and I wouldn't disagree with him um, taking a, a big step forward in the. I don't know, Bellator doesn't have rankings, but on the Bellator. I, I would like to see him fight John Salter. It's a good one. Sal- John Salter. He's he's a middleweight who's I think he's won two or three fights in a row, but he he's never been able to get that big name fight. I think seeing him having Salter and Lovato fight would be a good eliminator. You know, a title challenger, if not the next title challenger after Sakara, the title challenger after that. Um, I mean, I pretty much expect Gegard to be the next um, title challenger at some point. Yeah, I expect him too. But you just position yourself for like, okay, he gets the title. Who's he going to be defending against next? True. And him and, him and Salter um, have, similar, have similar runs right now. So if they both fight each other that guarantees one of them the spot. And both of them, I think, really want that shot. I'm not going to disagree with you there. So let's continue going forward, and let's talk about... Let's see. I want to talk about the Tough 26 finale, which was Friday. I don't want to um, disrespect those fighters and not talk about their fight at all. Uh, the main thing, you know, we got a new champion in, in Nico Montano. Um she defeated Roxanne Matafari. What are your thoughts about that fight there and, and what the outcome was? Is that something that you expected? Like, um, or, you know, were you shocked at the outcome? I honestly thought Matafari's, I, I don't know if I was voting with my heart or my head, but I thought Matafari, given her experience, her level of experience, competing with the best over this period of time she's been in mixed martial arts, and the fact that she's on that run, 
I really thought that she would have enough to uh, to eke out a decision or possibly finish Montano. I didn't think Montano was as dynamic an athlete as Eubanks as far as her explosiveness, her speed, or her phys- or her physical strength. And I thought that that the uh, the le- thought that that uh, lack of dynamic athleticism would allow Roxy to have her moments and take over the fight. Um, and it, after the second round, it looked like Roxy was doing that. She was landing the shot. She was putting the pressure on her. She was putting her in bad positions. Uh, it looked like Montano was panicking a little bit, but Montano showed a lot of poise. She showed a lot of grit, and she made adjustments. It, she stopped letting Roxy take control. She was countering aggressively. She kind of started to figure out the read on Roxy's striking because Roxy's improved her striking, but she's not a natural striker. So a lot of her striking is going to be by the numbers, the one, two, three, four, the twos and threes. It's just, it's a little bit predictable because she's not, she's not dynamic. Her, her combinations aren't organic. They're kind of limited by her lack of natural striking skill and by her lack of athleticism. And once she kind of figured out the read on Roxy, you started seeing her counter. Once she started countering and making Roxy, Roxy hesitate, she started pouring on the volume and the aggression. And when she got into clinches and when she got into exchanges, she was very physical. She touched Roxy to the body. She grinded on her in those phys- on those clinch exchanges. And when she went for takedowns, she put her down and she once again grinded her on the ground. She was just, essentially to me, she wore out Roxy. The fight was longer than Roxy had been pr- preparing for. And instead of letting her off the hook, Montano increased the pace, increased the pressure, worked the body. And every time she got her hands on Roxy, she forced Roxy to work and manhandled her and put her and physically imposed her will on her. And that was the difference in it. Um, if Roxy had one half of the athleticism that Sajara Eubanks had, she would have finished Montano because she was able to land shots. She landed clean shots. And even with her lack of power as it was, she backed Montano up. She stunned Montano a couple times. She stopped her dead in her tracks. But Roxanne is such a, a non-athlete. She's literally a person who gets by on experience, veteran savvy, situational awareness, and skill. That's all she gets by on. She's not super strong. She's not super explosive. She's not super agile. She's not super fast. She's ordinary in every single aspect except mentally and technique-wise. That's where she separates herself from. But it wasn't enough for somebody like Montano who was able to basically just wear her out. That's what it came down to. She was able to create a pace and create instances that were just going to take the spring out of Roxy's step and push it, the fight at a pace that she couldn't control. And once Roxy was able to control where the fight took place or the pace of the fight, she started losing. And she's not the type of fighter who's dynamic enough to lay in one punch and turn it all around or score a blast double and turn it all around or throw you on your head, get position and finish you. She's not that type of fighter. She's a one, two, three, four, five structured fighter. And she has the physical tools of a fighter who has to go through all the steps because she lacks the physical ability to go from one to three to five or from one to five. And that lack of physical strength, that lack of power, that lack of explosiveness is essentially what caused her the fight. When she got that arm bar, if she'd been a dynamic athlete, she explodes in that arm bar, finished. You know, if she has even, even above average punching power, she puts Montano away, but she doesn't have above average punching power. She doesn't have above average explosiveness to force the fight on the ground. And she doesn't have above average explosiveness on the ground to just force those submissions, force, her, force away those, those submissions. And uh, that was basically it. Montano's size, physicality, and her aggression basically just chopped Roxy down. And um, she gave it a good go. She showed the ultimate level of class and that martial arts spirit and wanting to take on the best challenge and taking full opportunity of whatever challenge was presented to her. 
but it showed the hard limitations of what happens when you're an older fighter and what happens when you're a fighter that doesn't isn't blessed with some kind of basic level of physical ability you have less of room for margin and that was never more true than what was shown in the house when she fought Sajara Eubanks and when she fought outside of the house when she fought um, Montagna. So let's talk about Eubanks for a second here because she missed out on basically what was a six-figure payday and you know she had she's come out about her issues trying to make the weight which was a big concern there um, but me personally I don't think she's ever going to get this title shot back I'm not even going to front I don't think she's ever going to get this title shot back and that's one thing the other is the um, other is the idea that uh, it's the vision to be honest I think it's set up just for the top half of that division because flyway is going to become like a shark tank we haven't begun talking about this new champion facing the likes of Valentina Shevchenko facing a Jessica I facing a Paige Van Zandt facing a, a, a potential um, Ioana Jacek if she moves up to 25 I mean Jessica Andrade can move up to 25 there's so many different women that are at the top half of that division already even though they have never fought at, or they haven't fought at 125 yet that I feel like the champion is going to be overlooked I couldn't even confidently say that the champion should be ranked number one in the division at, at this time well I, I feel you on that and, and I agree with the skill level but the fact of the matter is None of, especially the girls who are dropping weight. The girls who are moving up, it's a little bit different. But the girls who are dropping weight, we don't know how they look to that weight. In fact, we don't know the girls who are moving up who, how they're going to look at that weight. Remember Beck Rawlings said, if I fought at, if I fought at flyweight, you see a brand new Beck Rawlings. I saw Beck Rawlings fight at flyweight. It was the same old fly issue, same old Beck Rawlings. She had the same technical flaws and, and strategic gaps that cost her at straw weight, cost her flyweight. The extra weight, the, the, the amount of weight she didn't have to lose didn't help her fight game at all. So while there are people with better skill sets, better physical tools, who just, if you look at paper, on paper, what they could do, and just being a, a fan of mixed martial arts, you'll assume Claudia Gadelli will wipe the floor with Montano. You'll assume that Jessica Andrade wipes the floor with, with um, Montano. You assume Valentina Shevchenko wipes the floor with them. But we don't know that they, these people really do that because we haven't seen them at the weight class yet. But based on skills and experience, what they've done at other weight classes, we know that. But you move them down a weight class, and all, all of a sudden, they're not the same fighter. You know, they, they might not be the same fighter. Most likely, they will be, but there's a good chance they're not. As far as who, who can make the weight, the girls who can make the weight and the girls who were in the competition were the ones in the house and the ones who were on the, in the tough finale. So as far as that goes, for right now, those only girls, those only girls we can list is, is um, flyweights because they're the only ones who've competed or who've actually competed in it yet. Jessica I hasn't done it yet. Beck Rowling did, but she lost her fight. And uh, the only other flyweights who've competed are the girls who are in the house. Paige Van Zandt will be competing very soon, too. I it, think Jessica hard... is undefeated at, at flyweight, though. She's fought at flyweight yeah, before she she's moved. Un she's undefeated the other UFC. places. She didn't yeah. fight in the UFC yet. And she hasn't made flyweight in a long, long time. I'm not saying she can't do it, but she hasn't made that weight in a long time. We don't know how she's going to look in it. Hoyer was the dominant world champion at 147. When he moved back down to fight Manny Pacquiao, he was a zombie, and he got beat within an inch of his life. I'm not saying it's most likely going to happen, but we don't know how they're going to react. Remember, Lauren Murphy moved down. She was supposed to dominate in that competition. She got knocked out in her first fight. And even in the fight on the tough finale, she didn't look dominant. She looked better than she usually looked, but she didn't look like she was some world beater. 
I mean, you just never know. Moving down weight or moving up weight isn't a guarantee of success. But yes, based on skill and experience, Montano is not safe. And the thing is, she's a champion, which means they can't hide her. They can't match her up with no names or debuting fighters or fighters without a lot of experience. They've got to match her up against the very best in the division. So whoever comes in that division and drops down and can convince Dana to give them a title fight immediately or can win a quick fight and call her out is going to have the first shot at her. And based off just skills and experience, there's a lot of girls who I think would just wipe the floor with her right now. Claudia Gadelia, if I'm her, I'm trying to get a title fight. Jessica Andrade, I'm not trying to get a title fight at straw weight. I'm trying to move up a weight class and get a shot at Montagna because she's a champion. She has a defender belt. And you, you can get by on the accolades you built at another weight division and just demand a title fight and see what happens. That's very true there. I mean, they, they need someone. They need, they're they going to need some star power at that uh, division, and, they, and they're going to need it quick. And for Banks, I feel kind of bad because I felt like she had some potential, but especially given her age and how much weight problems she had making the weight throughout the house, um, I really don't know that they're going to let her fight at that weight class because now it's public knowledge that her kidney failed. And you can have an explanation for that, but your kidney failed trying to make this weight class. I don't know how it makes the UFC look if they let her try to make this weight class again when they have it documented on TV that she had a, weight, had a hard time making the weight class weight twice, and then she had a kidney failure on her way to trying to make the weight class now. I don't know if they can, in good, I don't know, I don't know if they can let her, her compete at that weight class without catching some flat. And I don't know if it's worth her health to risk her fighting at that weight class. She could say it was a bad cut and this and that happened, but, you know, I mean, we've seen you have two other bad cuts. And this is for the biggest fight of your career. You thought you'd be, if any cut was going to be good, you'd think it'd be this one, and it wasn't. So, I don't know if they can yeah, I mean, that's, that way. That's definitely very I mean, kidney um, failure. That's, that's not, she got tired, it was hard, she felt sickly. Her kidneys failed on her, and she had to go to an emergency room costing herself a title shot, you know. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to argue with that at all. Like I said, I don't think she ever gets this title shot back, and I think she ends up having to kind of just figure out what's next because um, she's not going to go up a weight class. So that's there. And then on top of that, um, where like where do you put her? So this is just a, a crazy um, situation for her at, at this point in time. Yeah, she has to prove she can make the weight. She has to fight at least a time or two and show she can make it and look good because, like you said, we've already – We've already had a title fight ruined because you couldn't make weight, and you almost, and could have possibly killed yourself. And imagine how that looks at the UFC. UFC fighter died as a result of kidney failure trying to make weight for a title shot. It was documented on the show. She had a hard time making this weight. Why would you have a person who can barely make weight fighting at this weight class for a title? It it just could have went so much worse than it did, and it and it didn't really go that good for her in the first place. I mean. If she wants to continue fighting that weight class, she's gonna have to. She's probably gonna have to win two or three fights, and she's gonna have to show that she can make the weight class in a healthy manner. And once your kidneys fail, I don't know that it's. I'm not to say it's impossible. I don't know enough about health, but I would think that's a good sign that you may not be able to continue to doing this the way you're doing it or the way you're doing it at. Yeah, I'm not gonna disagree with you at all. Um, let's see what else do we have to talk about here. We have to talk about this weekend's card, UFC Fight Night 123, where we have some pretty um we have I, I just noted out three fights that I wanted to talk about. We can definitely talk about some more if you wanted to kind of go down that route where we have Cub Swanson and Brian Ortega. I actually just finished a piece for the site today because um 
this fight is prototypical old guard versus new guard, where we have Swanson, who's has um, almost twice as much experience in the cage, and um, I think he has just about two times as many fights as Ortega facing off against a 12 and 0 um, prospect. What are some of your thoughts about this fight here, and how do you see it playing out? It's just a risky fight for Swanson. Swanson's been on the winning streak, but he hasn't looked super dominant. He's looked dynamic. He's looked aggressive. He's looked ready for war. He's looked tough. He's looked like a veteran, but he hasn't just been blowing guys out. All the fights have been competitive. All of them have been close. All of them have forced him to, to go into his bag of tricks to win. Even when he fought Artem Lobov, he won every round after the first one, but the rounds are fairly competitive. He was taking shots. He was getting countered. He wasn't getting the takedowns anytime he wanted. He wasn't getting away from every shot. He wasn't landing every shot. When he fought the Korean Superboy, he was taking as good as he was getting. Ortega, Ortega isn't the most experienced guy. He's not the most well-rounded guy. But what he is is a guy who knows how to win and knows how to win in the most pressure-filled situations. And he's fighting a guy against Kev Swanson, who as good as he is and as, as talented as he is, he's physically declining. And even when he was at his peak, he had openings. But before... His dynamic athleticism and his creative offense covered those openings. They made people too hesitant to, to take downs or submissions. But now he's not as his creativity is kind of limited because he can't maintain that explosive pace all the time. And also he's not quite as fast as he used to be. He doesn't take a shot as well as he used to be. And he doesn't deliver a shot as well as he used to. He's giving guys opportunities that they wouldn't have got from him two or three years ago. And now he's fighting against a guy who's, who, though he's not dangerous the every minute of the fight, He's, in t he's dangerous from beginning to end. If Swanson loses a step, Swanson loses focus, focus, he over-pursues, he overextends, he's going to get finished and finish in dynamic fashion. And even if he fights a smart fight, there's no guarantee that Swanson makes it through this clean. And, and that's my concern. He's not the guy he used to be. And the simple fact that he's trying to cash out this late in the game tells me that he has to know the writings on the wall. It's a really dangerous fight for him because he's trying to stay in that title shot area where maybe he can get a rematch with with Holloway but he needs to look he needs to have a spectacular win to even have a shot at getting that and I don't think that when he fights Ortega that he's going to dominate or win in spectacular fashion so there's a lot of riding on the table for him and this is no worse than a 50-50 fight because Cub isn't who he used to be he's not as dynamic as he used to be and he's facing a guy whose specialty is last second pressure filled pull out wins and, and and Swanson's been giving guys chances. Nobody would have thought Arden Lova would have taken him down and landed a lot of shots on him. Two years ago, he would have mopped the floor of the Korean Superboy. This, two years later, it's life and death struggle. And he can talk about, I had fun. It was the best time of my life. I proved what I'm about. The fact of the matter is, against a guy who's really a fringe top 15 contender, you went life and death with him. And against I mean, the league guys, you haven't looked spectacular at all. He faced Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar beat him up and choked him out. He faced... Max Holloway, if I recall correctly, Max Holloway beat him up and choked him out. Cub Swanson hasn't shown himself to be an elite fighter. He's shown himself to be a guy who's better than the rest of the fighters of the division. He hasn't shown himself to be elite, and time is running out on him. Yeah, I'm really interested in this fight here, especially the outcome, because I think Swanson still has some value. Uh, and, man, you're right about that fight with Doho Troy. They were knocking years off of each other's life as each round went by. So I'm interested in seeing how this fight breaks out. I'm Ortega's a favorite right now. I saw him at minus 115 and minus 112. So I'm interested in seeing 
what's next for him. But um, we'll have to kind of see because I, I think that this is an opportunity for both men to kind of get to the next level here. And, and Ortega's trying to crack through to the top and defeating someone that's such highly, high, highly ranked as um, Swanson is a way to go. Yeah, um, if Ortega wins, it's actually better for the division because, like I said, Swanson's already been beating by Aldo. Swanson's already been beaten by Holloway and Edgar, and decisively so. Everybody's already seen those fights. We've seen that out that when it comes to beating the elite, Swanson hasn't been able to do it. So you have Ortega in there, and Ortega beats somebody who's a fringe elite kind of guy. That establishes Ortega and puts him in the in the driver's seat for a possible title fight, and that would be a new matchup we haven't seen. The only fights we haven't seen with Holloway are Edgar and Ortega. And since Edgar's injured and Ortega's kind of a young, exciting person, you might be he might. If he wins in, in in exciting enough fashion, he he might step in front of he might step in front of Edgar, and that would be good to have two young and upcoming guys fighting for the title. But um, you know, um, Swanson Swanson beats Ortega. I don't necessarily know that, that puts him in the title fight because the way he lost last time. So for the betterment of the division, it'd be best if Ortega wins. Um, Swanson winning. No matter how he wins, it's just not good for the division. The division needs to move forward, and they can't do that if you if you have a bunch of guys who are on the decline still running the top of the division. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you there at all on that part. Um, what else from this event kind of stands out to you? I looked at the Knight versus Benitez fight. That Sterling versus uh Morales fight is also very important to me because I think that that's going to be a another win for Marlon. Um, and, I, and I'm let's talk about that fight second. Talk to me about Knight versus Benitez first because to be honest with you, I'm not too familiar with either one of of, of these guys at this time. Well, Knight's the guy who everybody feels has a chance for for um, stardom. He's kind of got a he's kind of got a small following because of his. Um, kind of country slash redneck kind of vibe and a lot of people seem to buy into it they call him the hick diaz he's got really good ground skills he's very aggressive he's very aggressive he likes to go for finishes he likes to get position he likes to punish guys and he likes to finish guys the thing that separates him mostly is he's so willing to engage on the feet he's not the most technical fighter but he's a guy who's who's a high contact high pace high volume type fighter he's very physical he's very punishing he likes to break think break guys down this is a fight, it's a competitive fight, but it's a fight they want Knight to win. Knight's a guy who has sort of a, a, a Q rating that's coming on. He's a guy with an exciting style, and he's a guy I think they believe can be a top contender and an action kind of fighter that draws in casual fans and already has the support of the hardcore fans because he's shown, he's shown the theory that hardcore fans look for. He's not just kind of style over substance. He's got substance, but he also has the kind of a you want to call it a shtick or an act that kind of gets him over with the casual fans. So I'm thinking they want Knight to win this fight, and they're hoping that the difference is going to be Knight's physicality, his pace, and his, and his finishing ability is going to take him to a kind of a rebuilding win over Benitez. They needed a guy who's tough, who's got, who's got the potential to beat him, but a guy who's essentially there to give, a, to give the impression of fighting a legitimate, dangerous fighter so that when Knight beats him, you can kind of put him right back on the fast track, saying he beat this guy who is a young guy who's a dangerous guy, and he's ready to take the, take the next step forward, possibly heading towards another elite fighter. 
So before we move on, I want to say we have a special guest on the show today. I just realized that boss man Michael Ford has uh, joined us. How are you doing there, Sarah? Happy belated birthday as well. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm glad to be here. Oh, so you want, yeah, man, you definitely um, It's good that we were able to get you on today, yo. So you wanted to hop on, and you asked if we asked if we had already talked about GSP and um, GSP vacating the title and Rockhold and Whitaker is now for the middleweight cha championship of the world. I mean, yeah, we talked about this first on the show, and I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I'm uh, looking at the commentary that's going on right now on Twitter about it. It seems to be pretty divisive on both sides, where you have some people calling. GSP a farce. I mean, you have Todd Martin lay laying out a pretty strong statement about um, him swindling basically the UFC. What are some of your thoughts about this, Mike? W what was your first reaction when you saw that GSP gave up the belt? I mean, to be honest, my main thought was that I wasn't surprised. I mean, I felt like he was only coming back for the combination of the payday and the fact that he saw something in Bisping that he felt like he could exploit in order to build his name as uh, you know, as an all-time great. Um, I never actually thought that he had long-term ambitions on holding the belt, and I thought it was a smart move that um, you know he didn't even talk about the possibility of fighting Whitaker um, in the post-fight. You know, I always figured that he was here for the money fights, and I figured that this was an eventuality, and it was good that he just kind of went ahead and vacated the belt rather than pretend that he was preparing for this kind of fight. You know, I think it's good for Whitaker, I think it's good for the division, that they can move forward without GSP as kind of a pretender. I mean, he won the title, and that's a great win, and it was a great feel-good moment. But, you know, he's not a full-time middleweight. He's not even really a full-time fighter. So, I mean, if he just wants to chase big money matchups, if he wants to go to uh, welterweight and, you know, win that title and then vacate that, you know, if he wants to drop down the uh, lightweight and face, um, you know, Conor McGregor and vacate that, you know, I mean, that, that I, I would I don't have a problem with that because, you know, we're not talking about a fighter who's in it for the long haul. We're talking about a fighter who's in it for the money and the fame and building up the legend, you know? So you said a couple of interesting things. It's funny because I kind of likened this situation to GSP pulling a Dana White on Dana White. I mean, we've seen him do this to guys for years now where he says one thing and the next thing you know, something out of left field is coming up. So this is nothing new. He should not be surprised. And I mean, he's getting a little bit of his own medicine here. But I, for one, I don't think GSP fights again. I mean, I don't believe that he wants to try to make that weight cut down to the 155, especially after blowing up to 185. And I don't think he wants anything to do with Tyron at... Um, at 170 so I, don't, I mean i think that this might be the last time that we see him in the cage well you know as you remember last year i predicted that gsp would come back and fight conor mcgregor so i mean it might not happen this year what's well, definitely not happening this year but i think that's a money fight that's due to happen and you're right maybe he won't fight tyron maybe he'll just fight a money fight against conor at 170 but i mean i think that's another fight that he's got in the quiver and it doesn't even have to be for a title. Um, Leo, I think yeah, I, I, I agree with you guys. You you agree in the sense that I just think he, I just think it's not worth it. It's not the worth the trouble because GSP is a name, and it, it much people like to hate hate to remind themselves of this overnight. This is like a long winding road he made to get to this point. Everybody else is trying to take shortcuts. 
GSP's gotten to the point where now he doesn't have to answer anybody. He doesn't need the money. He's got his fan base secure and set. Nothing, nothing he does is gonna gain him new fans or lose him fans. I mean, one or two, a couple hundred here, but he, he's not gonna lose the support of people he has. So he doesn't have to chase any fight. He only needs to fight a fight that's interesting to him and that benefits him financially. And there's not very many fights out there that does. That's why all these guys are talking about chasing him. Robert Whitaker talked about fighting him. You know GSP's not going to fight you. Why even mention his name? Luke Rockhold's talking about fighting him. You know GSP's not going to fight you because he's the money fight. And if they would have had the title, they would have they would have went after GSP too because they all want the money. And before anybody blames GSP, let's blame the person who really responsible for this. It's not Michael Bisping. Bisping's been fighting for years, taking on everybody, taking beatings, career changing beatings, fighting on short notice, fighting anybody they needed him to fight. He finally got his title fight. He finally got his money fight. You want to blame somebody? Blame Luke Rockhold. He shouldn't have lost to Bisping. This is all his fault. <laughs> None of this happens. So I mean, you're Rockhold right. About, you're I, right, I but, but, there's, but, but you have so, to at least say this about Rockhold. Rockhold fought Bisping on short notice. Um, he did lose the title to a you know, huge upset. But, you know, he could have pulled a John Jones move and said, oh, well, he's not the guy that I prepared for. He's not the guy that I want to fight. I mean, I know that it, it is a bad look for him to lose to someone that he, you know, paced it. But, you know, he did everything he can do moving forward to try to get back to that title shot. And Bisping held out for the BS, I mean, for the GSP fight. You know, I think oh, that- no, I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, I get it too. So it's, it's, hard, it's hard for me to say I blame Luke Rockhold. He did what he wanted to do in terms of trying to build his brand as an injury prone guy that, you know, never really got to the heights that he should have gotten to um, because of constantly, you know, pulling out of fights. And here it was, he showed up to fight, his opponent didn't, and then he gets knocked out for his trouble. You know, I, I kind of feel for the guy, honestly. I, I kind of feel for him. I, I understand the situation completely. But me and Rafael gone on about this before this all started, whenever we thought white men and rock were the future, um, our boy Rafael said, Schwan, who are the two overrated fighters? I was like, I know people in the gyms with these guys. Rockhold's overrated and Whiteman's overrated, and they're both going to be exposed in the next year to two. And they're both exposed. I like both guys. I like Rockhold, but the fact of the matter is, if he doesn't lose, we can stay short notice, fine. But you still took the fight. You're right. You're right. Sorry, you still took the fight. So do I hold it against him? Do, do I not want him to succeed? No. But it's still his fault. It's like if you're married. And um, I don't know who the most attractive woman, famous woman is to you, but you're married and you cheat on her. You're like, well, how is I going to turn Rihanna down? How is I going to turn Beyonce down? I understand you can't turn them down, but it's still your fault. Your marriage is on the rocks. It's still your fault, dude. You're right. You're right. You're right. So let me ask you this then, man. Um, how do you think the fight against uh, Whitaker is going to go for Mr. Rocco? Oh, I mean, I think, I think Whitaker can beat him. Um, I think, you know, we saw in the um in uh, why well, can't I remember his name now that the two division guy from World Series of Fighting. Um I thought that I thought that he, you know, kind of showed that if you have enough toughness to stay in the fight with Rockhold, you know, maybe Rockhold can 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 pull it out, but you'll definitely put a scare in him. And I think that um Whitaker has more than enough to put a scare into Rockhold. And you know, I don't think he can I don't know if he's a front runner per se. But I think that if he can't just get you out of there, you know, he's he's not the, the long-time five-round fighter that I think that uh, Whitaker can be. 
Yeah, if, if Rockwell could box, he'd be un he'd be unbeaten. That's why I I never took too much credence in the short notice fight with Michael Bisping because Bisping exploited a hole in Rockwell that I that has existed forever. He can't box. He's got great kicks. He's got great grappling. When he's a better athlete, he's got great wrestling. But he's never been able to box. Anybody who can get into punching range with him or can cr collapse the pocket on him always gets him. David Branch got to him. David Branch. Yeah, that's David Branch. That's the guy I was thinking about. Branch on his feet. Michael Bisping, who's never been a power puncher, put his lights out because his hands were too low. He wasn't bringing him back on the shots, and it's been something that's been a repeated issue for him throughout the length of his career. He's a yeah. I feel like even Jacare put hands on him. Jacare is not yeah, anybody's it, top striker. Exactly. It, he's just got this hole, and he's never addressed it. He's always gotten by because he's big, he's long, and he's dynamic as an athlete. And the guys are afraid that if you overextend on those shots, that he'll tie you up and get you down. Whitaker is not afraid of getting taken down by um, Rockhold. He survived on the ground with Jacare, and he's not afraid of exchanging with Rockhold because he knows he's a better boxer and he's a comparable all-round striker. He's got that traditional mixed, traditional martial arts background. He can match kicks with Rockhold to a degree, and also Rockhold pitches very well. He doesn't catch very well. I've seen a lot of guys put a lot of guys stun Rockhold. I've seen a lot of guys put him on skate. He's not particularly durable. He could go out there and he could blow the doors off Whitaker. Or he could go out there and get the doors blown off of him. But the longer the fight goes, the better it goes for Whitaker. Because I believe that Whitaker's got the better chin, the better wrestling, and the better boxing. The only thing he doesn't have, the only thing he's not clearly better than is a better athlete and a better grappler. But everything it takes to, to keep the fight in that range and get the fight to that range, Whitaker's got the advantage over him. If Whitaker loses to him, I, I'd, I'd be very shocked by that. I'd just be, I'd be really, really shocked by that. He's been more active too. Right. Luke Russell's had one fight in like two years. So the question I have for you guys is, you know, you guys are, you know, big into pro wrestling and, you know, you're big into the um, the prize fighting aspects. Who do you think or how do you think um, Whitaker can kind of build his star up, you know, uh, get to that next echelon of, of stardom in, in the middleweight division? You know, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of guys in the horizon that can get him there. First and foremost, first and foremost, damn it, he needs to let us call him Bobby Knuckles. I don't give a damn what he thinks his his nickname should be, but if it's not Bobby Knuckles, it's the wrong one. Um, but honestly, I think he needs to be active right now. You know, he's coming off of that uh, off of that injury that he faced in that fight against um, that fight against uh, well Romero, and you know, so he's he's getting back into the cage. If he's active and he continues to win, then I think that that's one part of it. I want to see more of his personality. Now, that does not mean be an asshole out out in the public, but I definitely want to learn more about him as a man. I mean, being a minority from Australia, I, I think he is. He's from Australia, right? Yeah, at least so. Yeah, so being a, a minority from Australia, I would I would be interested to learn more about him as a person. Let me look real quick about his background. Because he um, doesn't say anything about his nationality. I was actually, I was, I was interested, or excuse me, his nationality is, is Australian. I mean, his race. I was just kind of curious to see. Yeah, I mean, he, he does look a little brown. I mean, I, yeah, I, I was that just right curious um, what his but, uh, race is. I, I just think he has to fight. They don't have any, I mean, it's not like he's not getting the Chris Wyvern treatment where he gets to fight a big name. He didn't get to fight Bisping. That would have helped him out a lot because Bisping sells fight. Fighting GSP would have helped them, but all the guys currently left in the division, they're not guys who have a fan base. So they don't appeal to their own demographics. So it's like 
I mean, he's probably got more of Australia behind him than any one fighter, American fighter they have has American supporters who will actually pay money and fill out a stadium to see him. In Australia, he's his stars on the rise. In America, he's not huge. But in Australia, his stars starting to be on the rise. They might be able to build a stadium show around him. They so do you sacrifice? Do you do you maybe set up a Bisping fight? Um, I mean, I know Bisping is kind of he should be retired by now. You know, especially after what happened with Gastelum, but. You know, if you want to do a UK versus Australia stadium show, I mean, that seems like the kind of thing that could be pulled off if Bisping were to win his next fight. I don't know who, who they had slated for him as, as kind of a gimme fight. Um, I know Gaston was out there because he actually has the win, but nobody's checking for Gaston, really. No. Gaston hasn't beat anybody but old man. He's taking the Chris Wyman route to the title, beating up a bunch of old guys and saying he's the best. There's just yeah. honestly, I just think he's got to keep on winning. I don't know anybody who's got enough of a fan base that if he beats him, he could, even Bisping at this point, Bisping being finished by Gastelum, he got beat up by GSP. He was already looking kind of shoddy against Dan Henderson. There's just there's nobody who, if he beats instantly, puts him in that stratosphere as far as even the tension because Whitaker is considered a favorite. He's almost like Max Holloway that he's beaten so many very good guys or top guys in the division. It's hard to even consider anybody being a favorite against them. He beat Romero. He beat Brunson. He's beat a bunch of other guys. He beat Jacare. The top three guys, top three of the four guys in the division, he's already beat him. He's the only guy he hasn't beat in the division who's the top guy is himself. Right. I mean, beating Weidman, none, none of these guys are star-making kind of guys. He's kind of just stuck. He's going to have to do it the hard way. He's going to have to go out, do interviews, um, meet people, shake hands, and keep winning fights. I mean, there's no shortcut for him. There's shortcuts for other guys, but there's no shortcuts for him. Yeah, it's kind of sad. I mean, because, you know, I, I think that winning fights only get you so far, especially in the modern landscape where there's so many fights on TV. It's so easy to get lost in the shuffle. You know, I mean, we don't have tough really as, as a, a platform that people pay a lot of attention to. I mean, I can even tell you the last time I watched even a minute of tough. You know, they don't do that uh, UFC... Uh, primetime thing that they used to do where they could really deep dive on the fighters' backgrounds and, you know, personalities. I don't even know how, you know, how a modern fighter gets over. I mean, you know, I don't know how much you guys talked about Holloway, but I kind of think about the same thing with Holloway. He's already, in a lot of ways, emptied out the division. So now, who is he really, who's really on the slate as a potential opponent for him that raises the entry level? You know, I mean, and, and worse still with um, with Whitaker, I mean, middleweight's never really been the deepest of divisions. They had a little bit of depth for a little for a little bit, but then, you know, guys lost to Whitaker and, and that's the end of that. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's essentially talked himself in a position where he's a favorite, so that's not exciting. And none of the guys have been, I mean, like if Anderson Silva could have put some wins together, but now he's out with drugs. Basically, the most popular middleweight of all time, maybe number two, would have been GSP. If GSP only had one fight at middleweight, he's probably the second or first most popular middleweight. That was the fight that could have given him that crossover appeal. None of the I, mean, guys, I mean, Raph, I know you don't want to hear it. I know you don't want to hear it, but maybe he does need to be an asshole. Maybe he just needs to be like, I'm the champ, nobody can beat me, and, you know, just hope that he riles, you know, ruffles enough feathers that people can kind of buy into the idea that, you know, all their hopes and dreams into knocking off this cocky Australian, you know, because I don't see a lot of people on the horizon that, you know, people are going to 
kind of get behind as a threat. Well, also, I, it's something me and Raphael talk about. He's going to have to work hard, not just when he fights. Because I've told Raphael this, and I've told fighters this, I've told their camps this. The reason your fighter's not a bigger star is because they're lazy. They keep talking about the UFC doesn't push me. Conor McGregor pu- pushed himself. Ronda Rousey pushed herself. Nate Diaz and Nick Diaz created their own movement. GSP created his own movement. All the UFC does is give you a platform. If you want to be a bigger star, be like Uriah Faber. Shake every hand, do every podcast, do every interview, and market, market, market. That's what you have to do, and these guys don't want to do it. They want to be martial artists, which is fine. They want to be fighters, which is fine. But just being a fighter and just being a martial artist does not develop a fan base, does not get people in, does not get you sponsorship opportunities. That's called being a businessman. You're right, and the thing is, you know, fine. like I know sometimes we go back and forth about it, and sometimes I sort of disagree, but I kind of feel like when you're in that championship stratosphere, that's when it matters the most. When you are the standard bearer, the face on the poster, the person that people are paying money to see, that's when you have to extend yourself a little bit more. Because you know, you're gonna sell the fight, sure, you're gonna have opponents then the B side, you know, but people have to care about your story and they're gonna have to care about your long term prospects and either seeing you win or seeing you lose. And, you know, if he's willing, he's gotta be willing to put himself out there. He's gotta be willing to make himself a household name. By hook or by crook, you know, and it's kind of a play on the fifty cent thing. He goes, everybody wants to have my fame, nobody wants to get shot nine times. Nine times. <laughs> Connor, Connor said the same thing. Ronda said, everybody wants to be the champ, but nobody wants these championship responsibilities. You don't want to have to go on the world tour. Mayweather says the same thing. Everybody wants to be me, but nobody wants to do every single interview. Nobody wants to have the cameras following around. Nobody wants to say the statements, get in front of the camera. Nobody wants to have to constantly put on the show they just want the money they they think being the best boxer gets you being the best boxer being the best athlete has never gotten you that paid manning was not the best quarterback for years why was he the, the highest paid one with all the commercials because he went out there and he got that for himself there's right. been lots of guys who have been in the best nba they're bigger stars than certain people and it's the same thing with fighting you have to take your business career the same as your fighting career and you have to accept it one you may not be a superstar so the only thing, other thing you do is you maximize the charisma and the star potential you have. And most guys just don't maximize it. They just want to, I just want to do my fight. I don't do all that talking. Okay, then. Don't be mad when you don't get Connor's paycheck. Don't get mad when you don't get Chael's paycheck. You know what you have to do. You have to do more. You don't want to do more. Just be a martial artist. Get your little eight to show or 58 to show, 100 to show, and 100 to win, and keep it moving. You're still getting paid better than the average person. Or do like I said before. Get yourself a manager and have that manager build up the heat for you. You know, pay somebody a little bit of money to go out there and do all the interviews on your behalf and get your name out there. You know, if you really want to be, that's what it comes you know, down to. If you really want to be, just that represent, I want to set a good there. example for my kids. Set the good example, but don't don't talk about the money. You you set your example. You 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 made your kids wealthier by setting a good example, but you didn't put any more money in their pocket. You right. made. It is. I'm not trying to be like, mean. It's just, it's a, they all say that, and it's a choice you make. I don't want to be like Connor. Cool. Then you just said you don't want a certain kind of money. Be happy with right. you. Right. You don't want Connor Demetrius Jackson. Johnson. He goes, oh, I, I'm the, I don't get the credit. You get the credit, Demetrius. What you don't get is the money. That's what you're complaining about. <laughs> See, now you're, you're saying now that. you're hitting the sore spot because I feel like Demetrius is trying, but people don't really, 
to give him the opportunities. I feel like he I doesn't think get he's, the black. I don't form. think he's a superstar. He could be a star. I just don't think he's a superstar. He doesn't. Yeah, but I don't think he, I don't even 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 gets the platform that you know that other fighters and other divisions get. I think that they bury every contender in that division. Therefore, he he's he's always going one hand tied behind his back against fighters that nobody even knows their name. You know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens against uh, Dillashaw if this fight happens. I'd like for the fight to happen actually at uh, bantamweight, you know, so that it's an even bigger story. But we'll see. You know what takes me off about DJ? He made me have to agree with with Dana White because Dana said you. It's like your you tell your boss you want a raise. Your boss says I want A, B, C, D, and E. You say I don't want to do none of that. I just want you to give me a raise. You can't tell me, give you the support, put the machine behind you, give you the money you want, and we say, go fight this guy, we'll do all that. No, I don't want to fight that guy. I just want you to do it for me anyway. That's not how this works in the real world. You're right, you're right. Sorry. You're right about that. And I don't like to agree with Dana. I can't stand that dude. But <laughs> your boss says, you want 100000 a year, this is what you have to do. And you say, no, I don't want it. Just give me 100000 That is that is That is like no negotiation in extra negotiations. Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, we've gone almost two hours tonight, so we've had definitely had some um, interesting conversation about the state of where MMA is right now. So um, let's talk about what, we, what we're working on this week. Shawan, why don't you let us know what you're working on for MMA ratings this coming, coming up? Oh, I just sent in a uh, piece for the and, and preview of the Robbie Lawler, uh, Rafael Desanya's fight. It's kind of like a do's and don'ts edition. It just kind of breaks down. The things Rafael, excuse me, Rafael, Robbie Lawler needs to do to beat Rafael Desanos, and what if he, the things he needs to avoid doing to make sure he beats him. I did a similar piece for Alexa Grasso, so it's kind of just like, it's just specific strategies, specific techniques, specific situations you need to be in or to avoid things to, for the fans to look for when they fight. To be like, oh, if you don't know much about the fight game in depth, you can say, you know. I need to look for these key spots. Or if he's not doing these things, he's most likely losing the fight. Just trying to educate the fan, give them something to look for, and kind of narratives to follow th throughout the course of the fight, no matter how long it goes. So you can say, oh, I can see how he lost. I can see how he won. Can kind of give him just a blueprint towards victory or defeat for him. Cool, cool. Awesome there, awesome there. I mean, I always appreciate your work on that. So let's also... Rafael, no, no, you got to advertise what you got. Yeah, man. So, um, what I just, the Jose Aldo piece just came out today, I believe, today, yesterday. So, that's that's definitely going around there. I just uploaded a piece about Brian Ortega and Cub Swanson. I think it's going to be a hell of a fight this weekend. Um, those are the main two pieces I have. Obviously, we got the show tonight. I may get something else out, too, about um, the Aljamain Sterling fight. But we have quite a bit going on, man. It's going to be a crazy busy weekend because we got a big boxing match this weekend as well, too. Oh, what's the big boxing match? Oh, Lomachenko. He's fighting. Okay. It's not a sexy fight. It's just two gold medalists, two guys who are the best, previously the best amateur boxers pretty much in the history of amateur boxing and guys who are considered the best technicians in boxing. So they're finally fighting. It's not considered to be an exciting fight, but as far as like world-class experience, amateur and professional, it's probably one of the best technical athletic matchups you can have. Like as far as we're talking about skills on both sides. Okay. So it, it's kind of a, it's kind of fight everybody's been looking forward to. I don't know that it'll be an exciting fight, but when you talk about legitimate skills, you're like, you probably can't name two or three other fighters in the past 10 years with a better overall skill set when you have two fighters with comparable skill sets of that level. Well, I may I may uh, try to 
write something this weekend if I had a little have a little time. I may try to talk about what the impending Fox um, deal with Disney, the effect that it might have on the Fox um, potential deal with the UFC. Um, I've been thinking, be thinking around some ideas. I would, I would really interested to see that myself. But um, you know. I, I need to do a little bit more research before I put pen to paper, so to speak. Good stuff, man. That's definitely going to be um, oh, yeah. uh, good to yeah, watch. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to apologize sometimes. It's come to my attention that at times when I'm talking to people who might be guests on our show as far as fighters, sometimes they get very sensitive about certain articles written in assessments of their fights, even if it's right or wrong. They get they get offended by it because they well, want to be told it. Well, you know what they really need to do? The they, they need to share those articles and have their followers on social media um, respond to you guys on social media and hit up the site, of course. Uh, go to the, you know, sign up, um, respond on those articles with their usernames. And, you know, you guys will be glad to debate every fan of every fighter that gets a little bit uh, nervous or a little bit sensitive about what you've written about them. I think that would be great for MMA ratings and great for the discourse. I've been trying to do it. I, I told Rafael a couple, it was actually a couple weeks ago, me and Danny Castillo got into it because he, he felt offended that I was commenting on fights in the manner that I commented. I'm like, dude, I work with fighters. Like, they call me for this. They call like professional rank top fighters call me for my opinion, but you never fought, bro. You don't know what you're talking about, bro. Like it was, I tried to get him on the show and he flipped on me. So, no, you know. that's, that's unfortunate. Keep trying to get people on the show. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I don't always get on it, but hopefully in the coming year, I can, you know, I'll make a little time on Thursday nights and, um, you know, just kind of check in and just, just uh, try to give my little two cents. I'm not as informed as you guys, as you know, <laughs> you know. But um, you know, I think I think I offer my own unique perspectives. Hey, I, I like I love having you on the show. Personally, it's just a lot of fun. Me and Rafi have a good time here every week, and it's just fun having another person we can like laugh and joke and have serious conversations, but still hit those hit those get those jokes off. Yeah, definitely yeah. the more the merrier. So with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and say goodbye for this week. We will be back next week on the 14th. We have uh, maybe three more shows before the year is out. We're going to definitely plan our end of year show. We had a great one last year where we had Roy Billington and Adam Martin join us. So I'm going to try to get the crew back together for an end of year show for um, this year. Uh, so stay uh, abreast of that. And there'll be news coming out about that as well. All right. Sounds great. Awesome, everybody. Thank you all, and uh, have uh, a great night, guys. Show. Mike, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's take it easy. Have all a right. great night, everybody. Bye.